Welcome to Your Gal Friday, a podcast about female leaders, innovators, and rule breakers. Each week, your hosts, Kate and Phoebe, will shine a spotlight on an amazing gal and talk about what we can all learn from her. Brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Your Gal Friday. I'm Kate Chaplin. And I'm Phoebe Freer. Today we are talking about a gal who dedicated her life to women's rights, sparked by not being allowed to speak because she was a woman, to speaking around the country about the importance of the right to vote, anti-slavery, and the dangers of alcohol. Today we're going to talk about the life and legacy of your gal, Susan B. Anthony. Yay! Susan B. Anthony has so much weight to her name, actually, and she did so much, and I was just really excited to learn more about her this week because pretty much... She's one of the famous names in this country. Yep. So, you know, it's really cool to be able to talk about her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I adore this gal. Oh, my goodness, I adore her. Um, I visited her grave, and I actually beat myself up that I didn't keep my I Voted sticker from the previous election um, to leave in tribute, because many people did. But I did pay my respects, and I did thank her for all the work that she had done for women. Um, Susan is one of those that just peppers history. When it comes to voting and the Civil War, the Underground Railroad, and even Prohibition, her name comes up. I mean, there is a reason why she's on the dollar coin. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) She was majorly influential and she was a sassy gal. She really was quite sassy. I love Uh, it though. (laughs) I know. She's just so hard to ignore. And I kind of love that about her. I love looking up all of her quotes and like her responses to things. I'm like, oh, snap, don't mess with her. (laughs) Uh huh. She she knew exactly how to respond and what to say and what to to get people's attention. Uh, A true gift. Absolutely. (laughs) Let's get to know more about Susan. Let's get to know the person behind the accolades and the tributes. So Phoebe, when and where did she grow up? Well, Susan B. Anthony was born on February 15th in 1820, and she was born in Adams, Massachusetts. Um, Her parents were Daniel Anthony and Lucy Reed, and she was the second oldest of seven children. So Susan's father was an abolitionist and a temperance advocate. He also grew up as a Quaker, but he had a different mentality than his congregation, and he kind of got rebuked for it. He also married a non-Quaker, which his congregation was not happy about either, but he still attended the Quaker meetings anyway. So Susan's mother helped raise their children in a more tolerant version of her husband's Quaker religious tradition. Their father encouraged them all, girls as well as boys, to be able to support themselves and also taught them about taking responsibilities and different business tips and that kind of thing. When Susan was 17, she was sent to a Quaker boarding school in Philadelphia, which she hated. She was actually forced to stop after one term because her family was financially ruined during the economic downturn. So they were actually forced to sell everything that they owned and they had to sell it in auction. But thankfully, they had a cool maternal uncle who bought a lot of their property back and gave it back to them. Very nice. Yeah. So to assist her family financially, Susan actually left home and she taught a Quaker boarding school. So in 1845, the family actually moved to a farm in the outskirts of Rochester, New York, and they purchased partly with the inheritance of Susan from Susan's mother. So there they associated with a group of Quaker social reformers who had left their congregation as well because of their restrictions, which is very similar to what happened to Susan's dad. 
So they actually all formed a new organization called the Congregational Friends. And the farmstead soon became the Sunday afternoon gathering place for all these activists. So among the people who attended these gatherings was Frederick Douglass, and he was a former slave and prominent abolitionist, and he became Susan's lifelong friend, which is just so cool. It's very cool. They're actually buried in the same cemetery. Aww. Yeah, they were neighbors <laughs> to a certain extent. They're yeah. Neighbors. Yay. <laughs> So Susan was the headmistress of a female department of an academy. She was interested in social reform because she was distressed at being paid much less than men with similar jobs as hers, thus starting her activism. Ah, I see. Mm -hmm. Now, when she was 28, she gave her first speech at the Daughter of Temperance Supper. So the temperance movement was against the consumption of alcoholic beverages and to influence government laws to bring awareness to their dangers. So the movement started in 1820, the same year that Susan was born. And of course, being raised Quaker, her family believed that drinking liquor was sinful. So Susan actually saw temperance more as a women's rights issue because at the time if a woman was in a marriage with a drunkard she had no rights to guardianship of her children the ability to own property to leave and divorces were extremely difficult so it was a real problem oh wow i can only imagine that is intense that's yeah that's really bad and if it just came down to alcohol and they can you know the over consumption of it right then yeah, yeah. That's not good. now <laughs> no after her first speech susan was elected president of the rochester branch of the daughters of temperance however Yay. she wasn't allowed to speak at the new york Oops. state convention on temperance so what she did instead is she founded the women's state temperance society with elizabeth caddy stanton <laughs> nothing stops her i'm telling nope. you <laughs> oh no not at all it's gonna be a current theme <laughs> yeah <laughs> so their goal was to petition state legislators to pass a law limiting the sale of alcohol and the petition was filed and it had 28,000 signatures but it was rejected because most of the signatures were women and children so in other words people who can't vote. So legislators did not take it seriously. And Susan decided that women then needed the vote so that politicians would actually listen to them. Seems legit. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) I see the logic. Completely A to B to me. (laughs) Yeah, wow. But that's a lot of like steps to get to where she wanted to get. Yeah, absolutely. Just to get some movements, yeah. Yeah. I need to do this Mm -hmm. and then this and then this and then this and then I can get what I really was after in the first place. Right. Exactly. But then also (laughs) the door opens up to so many other things that are a struggle. So So it's it's one of those things where it's like, man, that's ingenious. (laughs) Right. While also working on suffrage or women's voting laws, their hard work paid off. New York State passed the Married Women's Property Bill, allowing married women to own property, keep their wages, and have custody of their own children. So they eventually got what they were after. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> so as much as that is a no-brainer today, Susan and Elizabeth were criticized for talking more about women's rights than temperance. And so Susan and Elizabeth resigned from the Women's State Temperance Society. Now, when it came to prohibition, Susan actually refused to support it as she thought it detracted from the cause of women's rights to vote or women's suffrage. Now, the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which banned the sale of alcohol, would pass before the 19th Amendment, which was the women's right to vote. And both of those would be after Susan's lifetime. Now, alongside her during the temperance movement and for the rest of her life was her best friend, Elizabeth Caddy Stanton. And you have more on their beautiful friendship. I do. They're so cool. I want a bestie like Elizabeth and Susan, right? Yeah. Wait, wait. Can we, do we count? (laughs) We totally count. You and me are the new Elizabeth and Susan. We're going to do this. We are. We got this. We're going to conquer the world. (laughs) These are friendship goals, right? They are friendship goals. This is the definition of friendship goals. Okay. I'll explain in a second. So, as Kate mentioned earlier, in 1851, Susan was introduced to Elizabeth Stanton who had been one of the organizers for the Seneca Falls Convention and had introduced controversial resolution in support of women's suffrage. So Susan and Elizabeth really hit it off, and they soon became good friends and close co-workers. So they formed a relationship that was pivotal for them and for women's movement as a whole. And actually, one of Elizabeth's biographers estimated that over her lifetime, Elizabeth spent more time with Susan than any other adult ever including her own husband which is crazy yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh like wow that that takes a lot to okay yeah that's cool oh Oh, they were they were always together they were tight they were tight man (laughs) yep (laughs) so the two women had complementary skills actually so susan was good at organizing while elizabeth tackled writing Susan wasn't always happy with her own writing and her ability, and um, she actually wrote very little for publications, and she let Elizabeth write a lot of Yeah. And um, a lot of Susan's quotes and stuff were taken from stuff she's spoken as opposed to what she's written. Correct. So Elizabeth stayed home with her seven children, while Susan was unmarried and she was able to travel for their cause. So Susan helped Elizabeth by babysitting her children while she wrote, and then they just kind of back and forth... Um, play babysitter and helped each other out which i love that is such i a do too that's like teamwork. Tag team yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a biography of elizabeth says that during the early years of their relationship elizabeth provided the ideas the rhetoric and strategy and and um, susan delivered the speeches circulated petitions rented the halls and then um, susan prodded and then elizabeth produced and elizabeth's husband even said Susan stirred the puddings, Elizabeth stirred up Susan, and then Susan stirs up the world, which is such a great line. I know. It's lovely. (laughs) It's like, I want somebody to say that about me someday, because that's amazing. (laughs) It's very cool. And just that that yin and yang dynamic between the two of them was really cool. They had wonderful strengths that balanced each other. And yeah, it was Yeah, and like, that's just perfect to balance... To, to use your own um, strengths for your, like, mm-hmm. for the greater good and, like, to recognize, okay, I'm good at this, you're good at that, so let's, like, go back and forth and use our strengths as opposed to being yep. something we're not, which is yeah. so cool. It's amazing. I love it. 
So Susan started or was a member of many organizations in her lifetime. So I will dot point a few of them so you can have the scope of her pursuits. And we're right. going to we're going to dig into a few of these. There, there's far too many. <laughs> yeah, there's too many to like cover in less than 50 minutes. Right. So. <laughs> and they also start to converge as well. One organization right. becomes something else. And yeah. then yes. Uh, but the overview, uh, starting with founding the Women's State Temperance Society in 1853, which we already talked about. Then in 1856, she was an agent for the American Anti-Slavery Society. And in 1863, Mm -hmm. she started the Women's National Loyalist League to support the 13th Amendment to outlaw slavery. These these names were not like meant for easily repetitiveness. Wait. They were meant to look really <laughs> nice on like a banner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You weren't they're not made to be easily spoken. That's what yeah. This is very true. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't meant for a website URL either. Right. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> they didn't think that far ahead of time. No, no. They really? weren't thinking hundreds of years in the future. Oh man. Uh, I guess we uh this is true but in 1866 she blended her fight for rights regardless of color or gender and founded the american equal rights association then in 1868 she was a delegate for the national labor congress where she spoke out for votes for women as well as equal pay for equal work and that was not received that well (laughs) she then formed the working women central association to support and to research women's working conditions and opportunities. Now, when New York printers went on strike and Susan urged companies to hire women, this was seen as strike-breaking, and she was considered an enemy of the National Labor Congress. (laughs) Whoops. In 1869, the women's movement experienced a split into two organizations. So Susan had founded the National Women's Suffrage Association. Now, they worked towards a constitutional amendment for the women's right to vote. There was also the American Women's Suffrage Association. They worked state by state trying to get state laws passed so that women could vote. Now, these two organizations would eventually merge in 1878, and both Susan and Elizabeth would take turns as president. So in the 1890s, uh, Susan was a board member of the Rochester State Industrial School, pushing for co-education. And in the 1900s, she would be named an honorary president of the International Women's Suffrage Alliance. So yeah, a lot of organizations. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's uh, to put it lightly. So let's dig into the work that Susan did with a few of these. So Phoebe, when it comes to abolitionists and anti-slavery, what did you right. find? Well, one thing that I think is really cool is, with our gals and our research for this podcast is um, these gals tend to have their lives and works intertwined with each other. So yes. if you guys listen to our Harriet Tubman episode, you know that Harriet Tubman was also a supporter of women's rights. Well, in turn, Susan B. Anthony believed all people should be free, and so their works overlapped. So Susan B. Anthony worked in um, anti-slavery movements, and then Harriet mm-hmm. Tubman worked in women's rights movements. So it was this kind of cool... yeah. Such a time to be alive. I know, right? (laughs) Actually, I kind of wish I knew both of these women because they're kind of my heroes. They're so cool. (laughs) They're really cool. (laughs) 
<laughs> so many supporters of Harriet Tubman during her Underground Railroad years were involved in the women's rights movement as well. And Harriet believed in equality for all people, black or white, male or female, which made her sympathetic to the women's rights movements. Um, so she described her years as Moses as the impact that she had to those who found freedom. She toured major cities, speaking in favor of women's suffrage rights, which is so cool. Absolutely. So on the other hand, it seems that at an early age, Susan was fighting against slavery. Um, In 1851, she played a key role in organizing an anti-slavery convention in Rochester. She was also a part of the Underground Railroad, which is just amazing to me. It's just so cool. Um, And an entry in her diary in 1861 read, fitted out a fugitive slave for Canada with the help of Harriet Tubman, which just tickles me to think that they actually interacted or their works intertwined or it was just like, oh my gosh, they're... Yeah. I know it, maybe it's weird because like, I'm really bad with dates. Gotcha. So I totally, like, I was like, oh, we already did Harriet Tubman. Okay, this date, this date, this date. We go over right. Susan B. Anthony. It's this date, this date, this date. I am like completely oblivious i have to put the pieces together in my own head that like oh no they overlapped those dates are the same like they lived at the same time they lived in the same like state so it's just really cool it's like a cool discovery type thing for me they become a real person yeah a real person that interacted with other real people because in history i think we compartmentalize too much totally um, and don't see them as interconnected absolutely like when we learn about harriet tubman in school typically it's like you just hear about harriet tubman and then you just hear about susan b anthony you just hear about like they're never like oh they live together like if they were a movie they'd be co-lead characters like oh okay right. now it makes sense right. exactly yes yeah. <laughs> and i love it when two iconic figures come together totally. i think it's amazing oh my it gosh. almost creates a, a new dynamic of history <laughs> yeah exactly so in 1856 susan agreed to become the new york state agent for the american anti-slavery society with the understanding that she would also continue her advocacy of women's rights which makes sense. Totally. So Susan organized anti-slavery meetings throughout the state under banners that read, No Compromise with Slaveholders, Immediate and Unconditional Emancipation, which is just so powerful. Yeah. It's not passive at all. I no, love it. No. Yeah, exactly. You do not need more words than that. I was like, nope. All right. We're going to listen to this lady. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So she actually developed this sort of reputation for fearlessness and facing down attempts to disrupt her own meetings. So this, but opposition became overwhelming during the Civil War. So mob action would shut down her meetings every time. Syracuse, um, according to a local newspaper, rotten eggs were thrown, benches were broken, and knives and pistols were like hoisted and they leaned in every direction which is so terrifying wow yes that's scary <laughs> yeah a little bit a little bit <laughs> so, Su- so susan actually expressed a vision of a racially integrated society that was radical and this was radical for a time oh, um, yeah. in a speech in 1861 she said let us open to the colored man all of our schools Let us admit him into our mechanic shops, stores, offices, and lucrative business avocations. Let him rent such pew in the church and occupy such seat in the theater. 
extend to him all the right to citizenship. Totally. Which is so on the nose. Like, yes, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, I'm going to be specific about it, y'all. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, we're going to get to the nitty gritty here. Like, this is what we need to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> totally. And even when she was working on um, the, you know, her anti-slavery stuff like you were talking about, Mm -hmm. um, she was still working on women's rights as well. And I feel like she's kind of always been speaking up for women's rights. I mean, even when she was a teacher very early in her life and she noticed that the male teachers were getting paid more, um, her work in the temperance movement connected her to Amelia Bloomer. Um, And I wanted to talk about Amelia quickly. Amelia wrote a paper called The Lily. And it was circulated to many women in the temperance meetings. Now, one of the writers for the Lily was Elizabeth Caddy Staten, again the BFF. Oh, shocker! <laughs> right, exactly. That's how they. That's how they connected. Um, so Amelia wrote um, many articles about temperance, but Amelia also wrote about dress reform for women. Amelia didn't want to take credit for this knee-length style dress with pants. That was actually first worn by Elizabeth Smith Miller. But when Amelia Bloomer published the pattern in her magazine and wore the outfit herself, it became known as the Bloomer costume. It's all, Yeah, bloomers. it's also why we have the term bloomers. I can see your bloomers. Yes, bloomers. that's where it came from. So Susan wore the Bloomer costume and cut her hair short for a time. But when she felt like it was bringing unwanted attention and detracting from her message of women's rights, she stopped. (laughs) Amelia, however, did introduce her to Elizabeth Cady Stanton. There's also a statue near the Seneca Falls Convention that it's a statue of Amelia Bloomer, Mm -hmm. uh, Susan B. Anthony, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And it says, this is where they met. So once the two met, they hit the ground running and Susan gave speeches about women's rights and founded tons of organizations. So Susan did speaking tours for most of her life. In 1877, she gathered petitions from 26 states with 10,000 signatures. But when she presented them to Congress for the right to vote, Congress laughed at her. Susan appeared before every Congress from 1869 to 1906, asking for the passage of the suffrage amendment. That's 37 years asking for Congress to allow women the right to vote. That is, that is persistence. (laughs) Right. Like, no, I, okay, I'm, you're not, you're going to say no? Yeah, I'll well, be back I'm next gonna year. Ask again. Well, you're going to say no, I will ask again. I'll be back. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, so she right. was one of those annoying ones. Annoying for, for a reason. If they were going to pass it because they were sick of her coming there and asking, hey, it still got passed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Either way, it would be a win. So while Susan wasn't speaking, uh, because sometimes even when she was, uh, her and Elizabeth were publishing papers and books. And you were digging into the publications that they put out because they're fascinating. (laughs) Right. So in 1868, Susan and Elizabeth, they were publishing this newspaper called The Revolution in New York City. And it actually focused primarily on women's rights and especially suffrage for women. But it also covered other topics, um, including politics, the labor movement, and finance. And its motto was actually, men, their rights, and nothing more. Women, their rights, and nothing less. Which is just so catchy and so powerful yet again. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
They knew what they were doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, they knew exactly what they were doing. <laughs> so one of the paper's goals was to provide a forum in which women could exchange opinions on key issues from various viewpoints. So Susan actually managed the business aspects of the newspaper while Elizabeth was co-editor. So in the aftermath of the Civil War, major newspapers actually become became more conservative, or they even stopped talking altogether about all of these issues. And um, Susan intended for the revolution to partially fill that void when all these things were disappearing. She was hoping to grow it and eventually into a daily paper with its own printing press and all owned and operated by women, which that's that's like a great That would have been dream. super cool. Yeah. yeah, that would have been really <laughs> cool. But unfortunately, financial support and had eventually disappeared entirely. Happens. And after 29 months, um, debts forced Susan to transfer the paper to Laura Curtis Bullard. And she was a wealthy women's rights activist who gave it a less radical tone. So the paper published its last issue less than two years later. Despite its short life, the revolution gave Susan and Elizabeth a means for expressing their views during the developing split within the women's movements. And it also helped them to promote their side of the movement. Very cool. It was a good voice. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Even for a short time, it was a voice. Yeah. <laughs> Now, it's actually kind of hard to pick one thing that is Susan's claim to fame for history. Yeah, totally. But there is one incident where <laughs> that got worldwide attention. Just just a little incident. Just a little incident in 1872 yeah. where she was arrested for voting. What? <laughs> now, she knew exactly what she was doing, and she mm -hmm. was going to push the 14th Amendment to its limit and find out if women are or are not citizens represented in the Constitution. So now the 14th Amendment, uh, it was ratified after the Civil War, and it gave blacks the same rights as whites, including the right to vote. And it mm -hmm. starts with Section 1, and it says all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the states in which they reside. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, right? Right. However, Section 2 has the word male used three times, <laughs> and that word had never previously been written into the Constitution. It always used words like persons or citizens. So let's just say using the word male really bothered Susan B. Anthony. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> it seemed intentional. <laughs> yeah. So she used every moment of her arrest to shine a spotlight on women's rights and get the government's attention. She refused to pay the fare for the streetcar to the police station because she said she was, quote, traveling under protest at the government's expense. Nice. <laughs> she also refused to pay bail and applied for habeas corpus, which is a report of unlawful detention and an official has to bring the prisoner to court and determine whether or not it is lawful to even detain them. Wow. <laughs> but her lawyer paid the bail and it kept her case going from the Supreme Court oh, on the habeas corpus part. Yeah, oh. I know. Uh, but now while awaiting trial, girl was busy because she mm -hmm. traveled the county 
and spoke at all 29 villages talking about the arrest and convincing people that women should be able to vote. As a result, the district attorney had to ask for a change of venue. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I know. But it doesn't stop there because when the trial was changed to a federal court in Canandaigua, you better believe that Susan spoke at all the villages there, too. That's awesome. So the judge refused to let her testify on her own behalf because he said women were incompetent to do so. And you think that sounds bad? Well, add to that that he instructed the jury to find her guilty without discussion. The judge ordered the county clerk to record a verdict of guilty even though the jury had not voted. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. Right? So when it came to sentencing, (laughs) the judge made one major tactical error. He asked Susan if she had anything to say before she was sentenced. Oh, (laughs) no. You better believe me that she took this opportunity to say a little something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So now we'll actually have the full link on galsguide.org of the accounts because there is some back and forth accounts on this. Uh, But this is what she started by saying. Yes, Your Honor, I have many things to say, for in your ordered verdict of guilty, you have trampled underfoot every vital principle of our government. My natural rights, my civil rights, my political rights, my judicial rights are all alike ignored. Robbed of the fundamental privilege of citizenship, I am degraded from the status of citizen to that of subject, and I am not only myself individually, but all of my sex are, by Your Honor's verdict, doomed to a political subjugation under this so-called form of government. Oh, wow. That's right. So then the judge tried to shut her down <laughs> right, and course. get her to stop talking, but she persisted. Yes, she would. <laughs> she also said this, and I just had to read it because it's too good. Mm-hmm. Yes, Your Honor, but by forms of all laws are made by men, interpreted by men, administered by men, in favor of men, and against women. And hence, Your Honor's order verdict of guilty against a United States citizen for exercise of that citizen's right to vote simply because that citizen was a woman and not a man. But yesterday, the same man-made forms of law declared a crime punishable with a $1,000 fine and six months imprisonment for you, for me, for any of us to give a cup of cold water, a crust of bread, or a night's shelter to a painting fugitive as he was tracking his way to Canada. And every man or woman in whose veins coursed a drop of human sympathy violated that wicked law, reckless of consequences and justified in doing. Just as then, the slaves who got their freedom must take it over or under or through the unjust forms of law. Precisely so now must women get their rights to vote in this government. Take it. And I have taken mine. And I mean to take it at every possible opportunity. Yeah. She is one sassy lady who used that courtroom. (laughs) I do not want to get on her bad side. No, you don't. Bad decision. Bad decision. (laughs) (laughs) 
Maybe so, make better life choices after this. <laughs> this is very true. This is very true. Oh, so she was fined a hundred dollars, <laughs> and she had to pay mm-hmm. the courtroom fees, and she refused to pay. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now the judge could have jailed her until she paid. But then she would have been able to appeal to a higher court. <laughs> and she probably would have won because she was denied a trial by jury, oh, which is her constitutional snap. right. So the mm-hmm. case was closed in 1873, and it was a huge turning point for women to be considered citizens in the U.S. Constitution. However, it would still take an additional 47 years before the 19th Amendment would make this the law of the land. Yeah, so she died 14 years before she'd actually could see the achievement of women's suffrage at the national level. Um, Susan died at the age of 86 of heart failure and pneumonia, and she died in 1906. At the time of her death, women had achieved suffrage in Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, and Idaho, and several larger states followed soon after that. Legal rights for married women had been established in most states, and most professions had at least a few women members, which is better than nothing, which it right. was nothing. It was progress. It was happening. Yeah. yeah. Right. So what started at zero, at this time, there was 36,000 women who were attending colleges and universities. So two years before she had died, Susan said, the world has never witnessed a greater revolution than in the sphere of women during these 50 years. I love that. Yeah, me too. So the 19th Amendment, which guaranteed the right of women to vote, was popularly known as the Susan B. Anthony Amendment, and it was ratified in 1920. So after it was ratified, the National American Women's Suffrage Association was transformed into the League of Women Voters, which is still active in the force in the U.S. politics today, which yes. is awesome, and it's very great that they shortened their name for right. all of our sakes. <laughs> it's a little bit easier now to remember the League of Women Voters, yes. <laughs> right, yeah, I can, I can handle that one. <laughs> So now every election, different women visit Susan B. Anthony's gravesite and they put their I voted sticker just like Kate wanted to do. And they mm-hmm. put it on her gravestone. And it's kind of a type of memorial or a thank you to her, which is just so sweet. It's absolutely adorable. It's the sweetest way to pay tribute. It really is. <laughs> to be like, I voted. <laughs> yeah, because of you and others yes. like you, but because of you. <laughs> right, exactly. You stirred the pot. You were in the mix. You were in the fight. So Right, for a long time. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) When it comes to uh, what legacy did she want to leave behind, I think she wanted most, uh, most of all the things she did was for women to have the right to vote. I think she saw that as a bridge to everything else. Uh, She found it early on that if women couldn't vote, that legislators wouldn't listen. And so then all other change was going to be even all that more difficult. So the larger subjugation of women, she worked on that as well, but she saw it all hinge on the vote. And it pains me that she didn't see this constitutional right in her lifetime. However, because of the impact that she made and that groundwork that she laid, um, that others took up the torch, we can't and we can't ignore the work that she did. (laughs) It was amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it really was. What legacy do you think she wanted to leave behind? Well, I think she wanted to leave behind a country for women and all peoples to be treated equal. And she wanted to leave behind like a bravery in other women and men, too, to pursue basic human rights just in yeah. general. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Um, what I learned from Susan was not only her determination, but that mm-hmm. persistence. Um, totally. She used every opportunity to put a focus on suffrage. And in today's world of, oh, look, squirrel, um, right. you know, and being sidetracked by the news of the day, uh, she held strong. Um, she talked about women's rights when committee members preferred to ignore the issue. She had a strong voice and a best friend to help her with those thunderbolts. Heck and goodness, yeah. did she throw those thunderbolts that Elizabeth wrote for her. Totally. <laughs> But being a strong voice for women, it also divided people. Um, and she did have her fair share of enemies. And it's a reminder that those that don't see a benefit in change will resist and they will silence those who try to bring it about. And in that regard, some things haven't changed. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I mean, you and, you know, they also say that, you know, you're doing something right if you start to have enemies. And you start to have opposition. So she was doing something right. (laughs) Winston Churchill says, you have enemies? Good. That means you stood up for something once in your life. Totally. It's one of my favorite quotes. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. (laughs) So what did you learn from Susan? So I learned that she left behind an inspiration to use and appreciate our rights in this country. And she also helped us to be grateful to the people like her who work so hard to get us these rights. It's just so cool to be able to stand up for what you believe in. And then eventually, even if it takes time, it'll Mm -hmm. come. You know, it's about persistence. It's about, you know, bravery and standing up for it and being smart about it, too. And using your assets like she had her best friend by her side the whole time, you know, Mm -hmm. just stuff like that. It's like, okay. I can do this. <laughs> and we've talked about in other episodes, too, about the ripple mm-hmm. effect. Exactly. And yeah. she really was one of those people that were creating ripples. And you didn't right. know where they were going to go and who they were going to hit and who they were going to move. Um, right. But it did move people. And I think even today, it still moves people. Oh, yeah. Um, hearing Completely. about Susan um, to get out to vote of how important it is and how, you know, it was a hard fought thing. Right. <laughs> for people to vote. So don't, you know, don't lose that opportunity. Uh, right. You know, be mindful of where it came from. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any more final thoughts on Susan B. Anthony? She's definitely a person to inspire to be more like. Cause yeah. to fight for what you believe in and to just stand up for for, you know, basic human rights. Everybody right. should be everybody should care about basic human rights. And I think that it's really cool that that's what that's what she uh her whole life was about basically. Right. And you and I were talking online. We wish we had the bravery yeah. that Susan had because totally. that's a lot of bravery that she had. It is. It is. I'm like, okay, get, spread some oil over here. Like, right. You don't need it anymore, right? Can I have some? Like, I will take a small percentage of that bravery right. that yeah, she just had. Like, yes, this much. Just a tiny bit. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Also, I guess I should also mention on galsguide.org, we also have a travel story about Susan totally, B. Anthony. Yeah, and it's really cool. Her home is available to tour, and you mm-hmm. can always, she is visited um, many times, her grave is visited, especially during election season, but year round as well. Right. So we have information about that, and it's uh, it's my fun story of me bringing my kids. It's adorable. I love <laughs> to it. To learn about Susan. Yeah. 
Well, that wraps it up for us. Thank you so much for listening to Your Gal Friday. You can find out even more about Susan B. Anthony, as well as the upcoming gals that we're going to be covering at galsguide.org. If you like the show and find value in the gals that we cover, please subscribe. It's a wonderful way to support us. And if you're up for even more support, visit our Patreon page. We leave you with this quote from Susan. The day may be approaching when the whole world will recognize women as equal of man. For more information about this week's gal or to check out our previous episodes, visit galsguide.org. To support the show, visit the Gals Guide Patreon page. We've got great perks like behind the scenes, early access, and private live streams. Thank you so much for subscribing to Your Gal Friday. 